Chapter Six of the Rock of Chickamauga. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Rock of Chickamauga by Joseph A. Altscheller. Chapter Six: A Bold Attack. Part One. Dick was the first to awake. The sergeant had not slept the night before at all, and despite his enormous endurance, he was overpowered. Having fallen once into slumber, he remained there long. It was not yet morning, and the rain was yet falling steadily. Its sweep upon the roof was still so pleasant and soothing that Dick resolved to go to sleep again, after he had looked about a little. He had grown used to dusk, and he could see just a little. The sergeant, buried all but his head among the corn-shucks, was breathing deeply and peacefully. He looked out at one of the cracks, but he saw only rain sweeping by in misty sheets. The road that ran by the field was invisible. He gave devout thanks that this tight little corn-crib had put itself in their way. Then he returned to his slumbers, and when he awoke again, the sergeant was sitting by one of the cracks, smoothing his thick hair with a small comb. "'I always try to keep as neat as I can, Mr. Mason,' he said, apologizing for such weakness. "'It gives you more courage, and if I get killed I want to make a decent body. "'Here's your breakfast, sir. There's enough left for the two of us, and I've divided it equally.' Cold ham, bacon, and crackers were laid out on clean shucks, and they ate until nothing was left. It was now full daylight, and the rain was dying away to a sprinkle. The farmer might come out at any time to his crib, and they felt that they must be up and away. They bade farewell to their pleasant shelter of a night, and after pulling through the deep mud of the field, entered again the forest, which was now soaking wet. "'If Colonel Hertford is near where we reckon he is, we ought to meet him by nightfall,' said Sergeant Whitley. "'We're sure to reach him before then,' said Dick joyously. "'Colonel Hertford is a mighty good man.' and if he says he's going to be at a certain place at a certain time, I reckon he'll be there, Mr. Mason. And then we'll bring him back and join General Grant. What do you think of our general, Sergeant? Dick spoke with all the freedom then so prevalent in the American armies, where officer and man were often on nearly a common footing, and the sergeant replied with equal freedom. General Grant hits and hammers, and I guess that's what war is, he said. On the plains we had a colonel who didn't know much about tactics. He said the only way to put down hostile Indians was to find them and beat them, and I guess that plan will work in any war, big or little. I heard before I left the army that Washington was getting scared, afraid that he was taking too big a risk here in the heart of the Confederacy, and that his operations might be checked by orders from the capital. Sergeant Whitley smiled a wise smile. We sergeants learn to know the officers, he said, and I've had the chance to look at General Grant a lot. He doesn't say much but I guess he's doing a powerful lot of thinking while he's chawing on the end of his cigar. You notice, Mr. Mason, that he takes risks. He took a big one at Shiloh, and came mighty near being nipped. But he wasn't nipped after all, and now, if I can judge by the signs, he's going to take another chance here. I wouldn't be surprised if he turned and marched away from the Mississippi, say toward Jackson. But that wouldn't be taking Vicksburg. No, but he might whip an army of the Johnnies coming to relieve Vicksburg, and I've a sneaking idea that the general has another daring thought in mind. What is it, sergeant? When he turns eastward, he'll be away from the telegraph. Maybe he doesn't want to receive any orders from the capital just now. I believe you've hit it, sergeant. At least I hope so. And anyway, we want to reach Colonel Hertford right away. 
Still following the map and also consulting their own judgment, they advanced now at a good rate. But as they came into a more thickly populated country, they were compelled to be exceedingly wary. Once a farmer insisted on questioning them, but they threatened him with their rifles and then plunged into a wood, lest he bring a force in pursuit. In the afternoon, lying among some bushes, they saw a large Confederate force, with four cannon, pass on the road toward Jackson. "'Colonel Hertford might do them a lot of damage if he could fall on them with his cavalry,' said the sergeant thoughtfully. "'So he could,' said Dick. "'But I imagine that General Grant wants the colonel to come at once.' They turned northward now, and an hour later found numerous hoof-prints in a narrow road. "'All these were made by well-shod horses,' said the sergeant, after examining the tracks critically. "'Now, we've plenty of horseshoes, and the Johnnies haven't. That's one sign.' "'What's the other?' "'I calculate that about six hundred men have passed here, and that's pretty close to the number Colonel Hertford has, unless he's been in a hot fight. Good reasoning, Sergeant, and I'll add a third. Those men are riding directly toward the place where, according to our maps and information, we ought to meet Colonel Hertford. All these things make me sure our men have passed here, Mr. Mason. Suppose we follow on as hard as we can.' Cheered by the belief that they were approaching the end of their quest, they advanced at such a rate that the great trail rapidly grew fresher. "'Their horses are tired now,' said the sergeant, "'and likely we're going as fast as they are. "'There are men, sure. "'Look at this old canteen that one of them has thrown away. "'It's the kind they make in the north. "'He ought to have been punished for leaving such a sign. "'I judge, sergeant, from the looks of this road, "'that they can't be more than a mile away. "'Less than that, Mr. Mason. "'When we reach the top of the hill yonder, I think we'll see him.' The sergeant's judgment was vindicated again. From the crest they saw a numerous body of muddy horsemen riding slowly ahead. Only the brilliant sunlight made their uniforms distinguishable, but they were, beyond a doubt, the troops of the Union. Dick uttered a little cry of joy, and the sergeant's face glowed. "'We've found him," said the sergeant. "'And soon we ride,' said Dick. They hurried forward, shouted, and waved their rifles. The column stopped, and two men, one of whom was Colonel Hertford himself, rode back, looking curiously at the haggard and stained faces of the two who walked forward, still swinging their rifles. "'Colonel Hertford,' said Dick joyfully, "'we've come with a message for you from General Grant.' "'And who may you be?' asked Hertford in surprise. "'Why, Colonel, don't you know me? I'm Lieutenant Richard Mason of Colonel Winchester's regiment, and this is Sergeant Daniel Whitley of the same regiment.' The Colonel broke into a hearty laugh and then extended his hand to Dick. "'I should have known your voice, my boy,' he said, "'but it's certainly impossible to recognize anyone who is as thickly covered with dry Mississippi mud as you are. What's your news, Dick?' Dick told him, and the sergeant repeated the same tale. He knew them both to be absolutely trustworthy, and their coming on such an errand through so many dangers carried its own proof. "'We've several spare horses, bearing provisions and arms,' said Colonel Hertford. Two can be unloaded and be made ready for you and the sergeant. I fancy that you don't care to keep on walking, Dick. I've had enough to last me for years, Colonel. They were mounted in a few minutes, and rode with the Colonel. The world had now changed for Dick. Astride a good horse and in a column of six hundred men, he was no longer the hunted. These troopers and he were hunters now. The column turned presently into another road, and advanced with speed in the direction of Grant. Colonel Hertford asked Dick many questions about Slade. "'I've been hearing of him since we were on this raid,' he said. "'He's more of a guerrilla than a regular soldier, "'but he may be able to gather a considerable force. "'I wish we could cut him off.' "'So do I,' said Dick. 
but his feeling was prompted chiefly by Slade's determined attempts upon his life. Colonel Hertford now pushed forward his men. He, too, was filled with ambitions. He began to have an idea of Grant's great plans, in which all the Union leaders must cooperate, and he meant that his own little command should be there whenever the great deed, whatever it might be, was done. He talked about it with Dick, who he knew was a trusted young staff officer, and the two, the lad and the older man, fed the enthusiasm of each other. This attack, deep into the flank of the Confederacy, appealed to them with its boldness, and created a certain romantic glow that seemed to clothe the efforts of a general so far from the great line of battle in the East. They talked, too, of the navy which had run past forts on the Mississippi, and which had shown anew all its ancient skill and courage. As they talked, twilight came and the road led once more through the deep woods, where the shade turned the twilight into the darkness of night. Then rifles flashed suddenly in the thickets, and a half-dozen horsemen fell. The whole column was thrown for an instant or two into disorder, frightened horses rearing and stamping, and before their riders could regain control, another volley came, emptying a half-dozen saddles. Colonel Hertford gave rapid commands. Then, shouting and waving his sabre, he galloped boldly into the forest, reckless of trees and bushes, and Dick, the sergeant, and the whole troop followed. The lad was nearly swept from his horse by a bough, but he recovered himself in time to see the figures of men on foot fleeing rapidly through the dusk. Bullets pattered on bark and leaves, and the angry horsemen, after discharging their carbines, swept forward with circling sabres. But the irregulars who had ambushed them, save a few fallen before the bullets, escaped easily in the dense woods and under cover of the darkness which was now coming down, thick and fast. A trumpet sounded the recall, and the cavalrymen, sore and angry, drew back into the road. They had lost a dozen good men, but Colonel Hertford felt that they could not delay for vengeance. Grant's orders were to come at once, and he intended to obey them. "'I'd wager a year's pay against a Confederate five-dollar note,' said Sergeant Whitley to Dick, that the man who laid that ambush was slayed. He'll keep watch on us all the way to Grant, and he'll tell the Southern leaders everything the general is doing. Oh, he's a good scout and spy. He's proved it, said Dick, and I'd like to get a fair shot at him. They rode nearly all night and most of the next day, and in the afternoon they met other men in blue who told them that a heavy Union force was advancing. They had no doubt now that Grant's great plan was already working, and in a short time they reached McPherson, advancing with Logan's division. Hertford reported at once to McPherson, who was glad enough to have his cavalry, and who warmly praised Dick and the sergeant for the dangerous service they had done so well. As it would have been unwise for them to attempt to reach Grant then, he kept them with him in the march on Jackson. Dick slept that night under the stars, but thousands of Union men were around him, and he felt neither the weight of responsibility nor the presence of danger. He missed Warner and Pennington, but he and the sergeant were happy. Beyond a doubt now, Grant was going to strike hard, and all the men were full of anticipation and hope. His force in different divisions was advancing on Jackson, leaving Vicksburg behind him and the southern army under Pemberton on one side. Dick heard, too, that the redoubtable Joe Johnston was coming to take command of the southern garrison in Jackson, and a leader less bold than Grant might have shrunk from such a circle of enemies but Grant's own courage increased the spirit of his men, and they were full of faith. "'I expect they're alarmed in Washington,' said the sergeant as they sat on their blankets. 
There ain't any telegraph station nearer than Memphis. They've heard in the capital that the general has begun to move toward Jackson, but they won't know for days what will happen. I don't blame the president for being disturbed, said Dick. After all, the army is to serve the nation and fights under the supreme civilian authority. The armies don't govern. That's so, but there come times when the general who has to do the fighting can judge best how it ought to be done. Dick lay down on one blanket and put another over him. It was well into May, which meant hot weather in Mississippi, but, if he could, he always protected himself at night. He was not a vain lad, but he felt proud over his success. Hertford's six hundred horse were a welcome addition to any army. He lay back soon with a knapsack as a pillow under his head, and listened to the noises of the camp, blended now into a rather musical note. Several cooking fires still burned here and there, and figures passed before them. Dick observed them sleepily, taking no particular note, until one, small and weazened, came. The figure was about fifty yards away, and there was a union cap instead of a great flap-brimmed hat on the head, but Dick sprang to his feet at once, snatched a pistol from his belt, and rushed toward it. The evil figure melted away like a shadow, and two astonished soldiers seized the youth, who seemed to be running amuck in the camp, pistol in hand. "'Let go!' exclaimed Dick. "'I've seen a man whom I know to be a spy, and a most dangerous one, too.' They could find no trace of Slade. Dick returned crestfallen to his blanket, but he recalled something now definitely and clearly. Slade was the little man whom he had seen carrying the log the morning he left General Grant's camp on his mission. The sergeant, who had never stirred from his own blanket, sat up when Dick returned. "'Who was he, Mr. Mason?' he asked. "'Slade himself. He must have seen me jump up, because he vanished like a ghost. But I gained something. I know now that I saw him here in our uniform just before I started to find Colonel Hertford. That was why I was followed. The cunning of an Indian. Well, we'll be on the watch for him now but I imagine he's already on the way to Jackson with the news of our advance and an estimate of our numbers. We can't do anything to head him off. End of chapter 6, part 1